Welcome to Wise Health for Women Radio with Linda Prater. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Each week with intriguing guests and topics, we'll bring you fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging a shift to new, healthier perspectives. Wise Health for Women Radio, helping women thrive. And now here's your host, Linda Prater. Welcome to Wise Health for Women Radio. We're so glad that you have joined us today. We love the concept on this program that proper health includes all things about you, your dreams, what makes you laugh, what makes you sing, and we'll go away for tomorrow. And as women over 40, we often find that we have put off some things that we wanted to do. So we're going to be talking to wonderful guests throughout our season about what they are now taking hold of and doing and celebrating life after 40 with. Today, we're going to be talking with Monica Beavis about her fertility issue, her roller coaster of emotions, and the sweetness when life works out the way that you want it to do so. And we all know also that life after 40 means you may have some bumps and bruises, but wise women learn from those and grow. And I'm so delighted to introduce Monica to Wise Health Women Radio. Monica, good morning to you. Good morning, Linda, and thank you for inviting me for uh, this program. I am so honored. I feel honored that you did that. I <laughs> feel very happy to be talking here to your audience. Well, I am too. And I think your particular topic of children later in life and the IVF roller coaster is very appropriate because for whatever reasons, through choice or not choice, sometimes having children is put off and you are now a coach for those who are seeking to use uh, in vitro fertilization programs. And there's so many details that people wonder about, know about the cost, the emotional price. There's so much to cover. So could you cover what brought you to go into this field and some of your experiences and and share with us the, the entire uh, concept and how it began because it's an interesting story. Yes, uh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, well, Linda, this uh, start actually with myself. I uh, struggled to have my own children. Uh, this start exactly uh, 14 years ago when I married my husband. You know, you you think that you have things in life for granted, and as I saw in my family, especially from my mother's side, all my aunts have kids. Like you know, like rabbits <laughs> so I said to myself and they got pregnant with the blow of a kiss I said to myself oh, you know what when I get married I'm gonna be pregnant that easy and actually didn't happen so we and when my I met my husband he had um, a daughter from a previous relationship so when we were trying for about one year and nothing happened I right away knew that the issue was me um, in that time I was 33. So like you said, you know, we put on hold to have kids and uh, we don't think it's, um, it's a problem, but eventually, you know, we went to the doctor, they did all the pertinent tests and 
the blood test came okay, and he said, okay, let's try a little bit more with some uh, Clomid, which is um, a medicine to increase the possibilities to get pregnant naturally. Mm-hmm. Nothing happened. So eventually we went to more um, de- uh, detailed tests, and uh, they found out that I have a double blockage in my uh, fallopian tubes uh, due to endometriosis. And I didn't have any idea of that. Mm-hmm. So the only way for me was to go to IVF. I was look, lucky enough that my first in vitro worked out, and I have now from that uh, IVF uh, an 11-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. However, again, you take things for granted, and um, doctors recommended in that time to to froze our embryos because we have a very good quality embryos. And my husband and I said, you know what, no, we go again through another IVF, we go with the same doctor that, you know, is successful, and we didn't think about it. But then when I wanted to have another child, it was about uh, three years or four years later, then the the, the things became really difficult. Uh, we start uh, our second cycle, I was almost 38 and unfortunately, one of the nurses of the clinic made a mistake in the dosage. You know, she confused with another patient. She gave me an, um, more than it's supposed to be. Mm. And uh, I got into an um, uh, ovarian um, syndrome, like my ovaries got inflammated and they had to cancel it. So from right there, this roller coaster of emotions that you mentioned start to become like a snowball. You know, it was only bad things what came into my mind. I was like, what if it doesn't work? You know, of course, as, as being women, we naturally have mood swings. So with all this medicine on my body too, the swings became better. And, you know, this affect not only yourself as a, as a being, as a human being, but all your surroundings. So I start to take all my anger and my, uh, all this sadness of not becoming pregnant fast and the cancellation of this on my husband and people that love me, even, you know, my my child. And you are not conscious about that because you are so blind by, by this that you are not conscious. In that time, I didn't even know that there was support groups. I was just focused on me having the baby and a sibling for my child. We start a third cycle about three months later uh, with the same doctor. He was very kind enough and, you know, he recognized the responsibility of the clinic in what happened. And he said, I'm going to do another IVF, no cost. However, you know, Linda, medicine is very expensive. And not everybody has the financial resources to to do that. And it's really expensive. Here in, here in the States, it's very, very expensive. It, it absolutely is. And I know that you you went over it very quickly about the cost to others around you. From knowing friends who've had IVF as well, the hormonal play and the emotional swings that people go through are so challenging. And during that period of time, you said you didn't know that there were support groups at the time. Are there more today? 
yes, I think that definitely uh, there are more today. And I think that the reason is because IVF and medicine every single day is more advanced. You know, if I look back to the medicine that I was using in my first IVF and even my second on medicine and kind of treatment that they are uh, working with today is much better. So that's the reason also that there is more more uh, groups mm-hmm. today than before. Because before, I think each woman was thinking, as I did, that we are the only ones in the world that are having this issue. And right. we are so unlucky that we see every single second another pregnant woman like, okay, how can she's pregnant and I am not, you know? You know, I've had uh, women say to me that one of the cruelest things that would happen is if they'd be in a group of women and somebody would say, I'm pregnant and I didn't want to be. And that kind of, where someone else has the blessing that you want and they don't realize the impact of saying that to someone who is desperately trying to have a child. Did that happen to you? Uh, this didn't happen to me, but I, I have been seeing it even in, in, in my group. Uh, for example, in, in the group, in the Facebook group that I handle, mm-hmm. I have a specific post for only good news. Why? Because even though all the women that they are in the group are going through IVF, it's very sensitive matter. It's a very sensitive issue. So even if, you know, I wish that we will not, in general, take things personal. I wish that even if I am trying to have a baby now and I am I am not able after so many IVF cycles, if we get to a point that we are happy for others' happiness, trust mm-hmm. me, Linda, that will bring us also that positivity and our cycles will be easier. But because it's a very sensitive matter, I handle it in a completely independent post. I think that's so wise, and I, I think that the sensitivity is one of the big reasons why we wanted to talk about this today, because I think that for those seeking to go through IVF, it's important to know they're not alone. But those who are friends of those who are seeking IVF but don't really know what you go through, I wonder if we're coming up on a break, but let's start talking about this. Can you talk about what happens during a cycle of IVF from the uh, preparation to the implant to the waiting period. Let's talk about that period so that people better understand and and possibly empathize in the future. Absolutely. Okay, go for it. Okay, so the preparation, the beginning of the cycle is, uh, is basically the easiest part. You know, you go through all the regular tests, your blood tests, uh, find out that your hormone levels are good, that you don't have anything uh, like polycystic uh, ovarian syndrome or all of that because they, their reproductive endocrinologists need to find out exactly what is the cause of your infertility. Some women, a lot of women actually, Linda, they make all the tests. They don't have any physical issue. The blood is perfect. The you know, all these things, and that's even worse because that calls, like, uh, unknown and infertility, and they have to go either way through IVF or through IUI. When it's known, it's easy. 
However, once the tests are done, even if it is an unknown infertility or if it is uh, a known uh, issue about what is causing it that, you start a period of um, blood tests to check your hormone levels uh, after your first period when you're going to start. Okay. Then, then uh, when your first period comes after you're going to start, you call your nurse or your uh, reproductive endocrinologist that same day, and you start to go almost every day to your clinic to get blood tests, check the numbers, and uh, like I think in my case it was after like three or four days of that blood test, they determine what is the medicine that I'm going to take. So you take a bunch of hormones that are going to produce more follicles. Okay, let's take a stop there because mm-hmm. we're going to come to a quick break and then we'll come back. But this is helping, I think, people understand the complexity of what we're going through. You're listening to Health for Women Radio, helping women thrive, and we will be back after these short messages. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Did you know that the average teenager drinks twice as much soda as milk? Since 1983, sugar consumption in the U.S. is up 28%. Why is that? There are several reasons, but one of the most common is soft drinks. 20-ounce beverages have become the norm, and it's not surprising to find that 43% of our sugar comes from drinks. Sugar is blamed for poor nutritional diets. USDA data shows that people whose diets are high in added sugar eat less calcium, fiber, iron, protein, and many other important nutrients. Fat-free foods are also a culprit. Since sugar is fat-free, many people tend to think it's okay to eat as much as they want. Remember that just because a food is fat-free does not mean that it's calorie-free also. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. The American Journal of Clinical Nutrition stresses that whole wheat rather than refined wheat is essential to maintain a healthy body weight. Eating whole grains is an important part of a healthy diet. A whole grain is defined as a grain that retains the germ, brand, and endosperm of the original grain in their original proportions after milling. When you buy a product that says it's multigrain, it means that there's more than one type of grain, like wheat, rice, barley, or rye, was used in processing. The more grains you have in your bread, the better the benefits. When buying bread, choose whole grain or whole wheat. Beware of wheat bread, a claim that simply means the loaf was made from wheat flour, which might very well be refined and colored with molasses to appear darker. The only trustworthy claim for whole grains is 100% whole grain on the label. I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Wise Health for Women Radio, helping women thrive. We are here today with Monica Beavis talking about later in life children and IVF in particular. So Monica, before the break, you had started us through on what goes into an IVF cycle and you'd gotten to the point where they determined the dosage of the medications and hormones that would give you the best possible chance. Can you continue on what happens after that? 
Yes, absolutely. So what is the purpose of these medications? Usually when a woman is trying to conceive, uh, naturally, we produce one egg per month. Uh, and this is the one that is being fertilized with um, the men's sperm. So the purpose of the medication in an IVF treatment or in any other fertility treatment is to uh, make our body, the woman body, produce as much follicles as uh, as we can. Because in each follicle, we're going to have one of that eggs. So each clinic, each uh, uh, reproductive endocrinologist has its own uh, method of doing that. Some of them, once is being uh, produced, and I tell you, every single, every other day I used to go to take blood tests and to take um, internal sonogram to see the ovaries. And they, it's amazing. They know how much. Uh, follicles are in each ovary and they start to take measurements. The measurements of each follicle need to reach about 17 millimeters, something like that, a very small uh, measurement, but it needs to get to 17. That's the 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 best that they can uh, uh, see there to then, you know, program the woman to do the egg retrieval. For the egg retrieval, once these follicles are reaching that kind that measurement, the some clinic some clinics put uh, the women they put me in a full anesthesia because you know to reach to the ovaries can be a a painful uh, process you know right. so and some don't I have in my group some women telling me or, or commenting the in the post what do you suggest my clinic says that they don't put women I always tell them you know what in my opinion my recommendation is tell them to put you on anesthesia because it's a very delicate place to reach uh, to suck the the follicles now once the follicles are being retrieved is does it doesn't mean that each follicle has a mature egg a lot of women get worried because they get a very small number of follicles retrieved. And uh, they say, oh, my gosh. But, you know, they said you only need one. And it's true. Right. You need one. It's not about the quantity, Linda. In this case, it's about the quality. So, for example, in my first cycle, they retrieved 34 follicles, from which 24 of them were fertilized with my husband's sperm and we, we, you know, then uh, they managed um, to see, you know, the, the, the clinic put these little, the little embryos, once they are fertilized, in a dish that is, uh, has the environment very similar, the temperature and, and all the environment is very similar. It's, it's not exactly the same, but it's the closest to the environment on our uterus. Okay. And then these uh, embryos, they are uh, being looking in a frame time of between three days to five days. So w this is a decision of the endocrinologist. When they see that the, the embryos are starting to, to divide, because this is more like science, you know. I remember because I was a nerd in school and I used to love that. But <laughs> <laughs> when they start to divide into blastocysts, blastocysts needs to be divided like in eight cells. You know, right. that little embryo is in eight. But some of the embryos, and I will tell you, most of them, they will stop to develop. So eventually when, I, um, when the doctor, the person that is treat, treating a woman, see that they are stopping to develop very fast, they decide to do a transfer of these embryos 
in the third day. They don't okay. take the risk to wait another two days and see if that embryo develops into a blastocyst. I tell you what is a blastocyst, if it's okay with you. Of course. A blastocyst is an embryo that has reached the point of being divided in the eight cells, okay. which is, but they also are being qualified in qualities. There is good quality of blastocyst. There is not. Some doctors tell us, and now this is something that touch our point, says that if you are over 40, your blastocyst or your embryos are not going to be good quality, like when you are 20 years old, which mm -hmm. I am not agree with that. And then, you know, they transfer that. If they, if they see that the embryos are developing kind of good, so they give it a chance to the other two days and transfer that blastocyst in the uterus of the woman. Okay. When, when a woman goes to the transfer of that embryos, that is not a, is not, doesn't need anesthesia. You know, even they, they, it's so beautiful. That is a beautiful part of it because the embryologists come with these little, um, catheter and they have a little uh, screen where they are showing you with the nurses when the transfer comes and you see these little diminute dots going into your uterus. It's, wow. it's, that's beautiful. You know, that's got to be a time of great hope and anticipation. Absolutely. It is. It is, Linda. It's uh, something, I tell you, that was the moment in my cycles that I uh, really kind of feel this joy. Mm -hmm. But then, as you told me to explain, then it comes the waiting period. And right. this, this is the, I will say this is the, the worst part of the treatment. Because you know that you have basically a baby, an embryo there developing. It's not like when a woman gets pregnant naturally, you know, they, mm -hmm. you, you do a test, you get pregnant naturally and you're, oh, okay, so you're pregnant. And, it, and, and normally women, when they get pregnant naturally, they don't pay attention. They continue doing their chores. They continue. And some of them, they don't even know until really late. Mm -hmm. And they are drinking. In this case, we know that basically we are pregnant. We have an embryo there. And we just want to know and make sure that it's going to be a positive test. What is that positive test? Well, that is developing good, you know, that is going to continue. And it's a terrible, terrible period of time. It's Do you so get tested during that period? Well, does the two weeks, uh, yes, you get tested after two weeks. Okay, so you have to do this waiting for two weeks. Yes. Knowing... You're probably being extremely careful. Oh. You're probably thinking about it 24 hours a day. Is that correct? Correct, Linda. You know, I can tell you I couldn't even sleep because let's see they do the transfer today. So mm -hmm. after the transfer, you ask many questions to your doctor. So they tell you, listen, you can go back to work after two days, continue your regular life. They recommend you not to lift more than 10 or 20 pounds. Uh but, you know, you are so conscious that 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 is there that you start to freak out. I start to freak out and I say, you know, I'm not going to go to work. I'm going to be lying down. I'm going to don't move, you know, no, because you get scared that suddenly if you see a spot of blood, you mm -hmm. think that your period is coming because the, the medical assistant uh, in this matter is so accurate that they 
put you, they, they retrieve your eggs in certain day before your period comes of the woman's cycle. They transfer your eggs in certain period of your woman's cycle. And that's why the two weeks is exactly 14 days after okay. the transfer. And it's made by a blood test. Mm-hmm. So you get to the two-week period. And you go back and they're checking you again by a blood test to determine... Blood test, which, yes, which is okay. called a beta test. Once the okay. beta test is done, uh, the level of hormones needs to read, I think, above 60. That's the, that's the basic number, either above 60 or ter- above 30. And then every other day, we have to go to do a blood test to make sure that this number is... Uh, duplicate or triplicate. If the number is duplicate or triplicate, then the pregnancy is going good. You know, means it's, it's right. good. Some women, they start to, to bleed before and uh, some women get very panicked like me. I In all my IVFs, I bled and a lot and uh, I, you know, I thought it was my period, so you start to freak out. But most of women in IVF bleed, and it's because of implantation of the embryo. But also, the bleeding can be that a sign that the period is coming, and this is devastating. So there is only two ways, Linda. Either you get a big positive, you know, that we call it in in the fertile community BFP, big fat positive. Or you get a bit, <laughs> or B fat, B fat negative, BFN, which is the devastating part. You know, uh, I think that's the roller coaster that you were talking about. It's it, you have so many factors dependent on it, and you are the one responsible at that point in your own mind, even though it's out of your hands completely. Is that surrender the hardest part? Yes, it's. It's unbelievable, like, stressing. But I can tell you something, Linda. I think that this is the part, this two-week wait is the part that kind of trained me and showed me that I have to learn about patient, about love, about care, and about what other women in the same shoes that I am need so much help. So I am grateful for that. It sounds funny. It sounds like, what? Any other woman would tell me, what are you? But I am. I am because if I wouldn't go through what I went, I will not be here helping others. You know, you make a very good point. Oftentimes, um, adversity or challenges cause changes in your life. And those changes, only looking back, can you understand that the challenge was a good one. So uh, you went through multiple IVF. Cycles. I went through five cycles, yes, Linda. Five cycles. Okay, we're coming up on our next break, and I don't want to get deeply into a question uh, with just a little bit of time. So before we – well, no. Let's go to the break, and then when we come back, let's talk about, again, those the, the hopefulness that comes with implantation and then the waiting period and then the steps that you take while you're waiting and once you find out that you are pregnant 
there are further steps, I know, that go on after that. And we'll talk about your particular story and experience with IVF and um, other factors in your family that affected everything. You're listening to Wise Health for Women Radio, and if you like these shows, you can find more of them at wisehealthforwomenradio.com. We help women thrive by looking at every aspect of wellness about them. We're going on a short break, and we'll be back after these messages. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. year, the United States Postal Service successfully ships over 160 billion packages and letters, with bills traveling through the mail at twice the speed of checks. Automated sorting machines read zip codes and directs the mail to the proper destination. But last year, they failed to read some 2.4 billion pieces of mail, all because of cacography. That's bad handwriting. So what happens to all that errant mail? The post office hires more than 700 postal clerks to decipher the most difficult ones. When a sorting machine discovers an illegible address, it scans and sends a digital image to the clerk's computers. Amazingly, the average clerk can crack the code in just three seconds. Not everyone can keep up, though, as management at the post office is always pushing the envelope. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. just hate it when someone starts a sentence by saying, don't take this the wrong way, but according to Elizabeth Bernstein of the Wall Street Journal, we all do this on occasion. Some people refer to these phrases as tee-ups. That seems fitting. What do you do with a golf ball? You tee it up and then give it a giant wallop. Tee-ups like, to tell you the truth, supposedly soften the blow. But if you are taking the trouble to announce your honesty now, maybe you've been telling too many teradiddles, flummery, and fiblets. Being on the wrong side of a tee-up can be confusing for the listener. What are other words for confusion and frustration? Wouldn't dream and jargoggle. Maybe it would be best to try to remain pricknickety. That means totally above board and precise. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words, words you never heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Wise Health for Women Radio. We're talking with Monica Beavis today about IVF and later in life. Monica, before the break, we were talking about the hope that one feels when you're pregnant. You've had five rounds of IVF and more roller coaster rides. Can you talk to us about those? Yes. Yeah, so as I was telling you in the beginning, my first IVF was successful. Is my now 11-year-old girl. My second one was canceled because of uh, like the dose was different. It was a wrong mistake from the nurse. My third IVF, which is the one that when the doctor recognized the responsibility, we went to do it. And it came positive, you know, it was it was successful. I was pregnant in that time, almost at the age 38. So, you know, with this come all of these tests when you are over 35. Right. So we realized that the pregnancy was okay. Um, they did all the tests for my blood. My husband wanted to know what was the the sex of the baby, so I told him uh, 
you know, let's be agree, I don't want, but eventually we want it. And they did an amniocentesis test, which is a test that they do to women over 35 right. to make sure that the baby don't come with some kind of bifid spine or some other difficulties. And this is when uh, we found out that we were expecting a very healthy girl. And I remember later in my pregnancy around the week 34, 35, she used to move and kick me so hard that it was hurtful. Really. So you were eight months pregnant. I was eight months pregnant. Now they because I was a little heavy that time and uh, I was having some difficult, you know, walking. Uh, it was too heavy. So uh, my doctors uh, recommend to program the delivery. So I start to have almost every week uh, uh, an appointment with my uh, gynecologist, okay. and you know, I scan the baby and all of that. And by week 39, almost, exactly three days before the program delivery, I had the program delivery for uh, October 8th. And on October 5th, I had my my appointment to talk about that. Okay. Two days before October 5th, um, I started to feel that the baby was moving less. So I kind of felt some kind of worry, and I told my husband, and he's telling me, you know, don't worry. Remember, with Elia, Elia is my first daughter, we freak out one time because she was not moving, and both of us went to the hospital, and she was sleeping. <laughs> so okay. he said, remember what happened with Elia? So I kind of calmed down a little bit, and then we wait the weekend, and we went to the doctor. With My mom was with me that day. The first thing I told the lady when she started to do the sonogram and she said, oh, the, the head measure perfect. We're going to go for this in three days. And I told her, I want to see the heartbeat. So she said, so she could had find. a premonition. I, I felt it. I felt it. And I don't know why, but I felt it. And she couldn't find it. So it was devastating when she couldn't find it. <sighs> they had to hold me in the, in, the, in the office of the doctor. My mom came in. And the doctor came. My husband left the work, like, Whatever he was doing, he came so fast, and I couldn't even drive from the, you know, from the shock mm-hmm. what is happening. So my doctor, our gynecologist, took us to the hospital, and uh, he said, listen, if you want, you can stay tonight, and tomorrow we do the delivery. I told him, no way. You do the delivery of my baby right now. I'm not going to go to sleep knowing that my baby is there with no heartbeat. Mm. So I delivered my her name was Isabel. I delivered Isabel. And it's heartbroken. I'm not going to deny that to you. It put me into a place, a very dark place to me and my husband. Uh, all these things create a very big chaos in uh, my family and my, my relationship. And because I was so much in expecting that baby and bringing it home, I wanted right away to do another IVF. You know, you feel that emptiness. I, I didn't... Mm-hmm. Listen to no advice. I didn't listen to my gynecologist tell me you need to wait. You need to let your body rest. You have still too much medicine from from this this process. Uh, I had you know to release my my uh, breast milk, all of that. I didn't listen. I just told my husband I want another IVF. I want a baby. I cannot deal with this emotion. I cannot deal with this emptiness. I don't think if I can make it because that's how you feel. I went through the four IBF. I got pregnant, but I miscarried at seven weeks. Mm. 
So all of this brought me and my husband to a situation that we almost got divorced. And then when we realized that we are like in the hole, there is only one way, two ways to, to go. Either you go very deep into the hole and you just disappear or either you pull up yourself and go out and see the light. Mm-hmm. So we decide that we're going to work out our relationship because we love each other. And when there is love, there is there is solution for everything. We're going to take a break. Don't think about babies anymore. We're going to heal ourselves and grieve Isabel and just, you know, ask, pray God to show us what is the good thing about what happened. And we start to see, okay, maybe it doesn't. When you start to, to, to like, let go that pain and find that if it happens is for a reason that you don't know but it's for a reason then later on when you look back like you say a few minutes ago when you look back you see that there was a reason we went to Israel with my daughter and my stepdaughter we took a time and we waited a year then we came back and we decided okay let's try this time this is a time that I said to myself I'm not gonna stress anymore I'm not going to have expectations and I'm just going to think positive and that is going to happen and I'm going to have my baby and that's it. And I'm going to start to help other women going through that. We went through the fifth IVF. We got pregnant. Uh, He wanted to know the the sex and I told him, you will know, not me. So you can ask. I don't want to to hear anything. I just want. And he knew it and I didn't. And I was never curious. I'm not curious. I'm so, I can handle these kind of things. And he was teasing me. Hey, do you want to know? No, thank you. Keep quiet. Don't tell me anything. (laughs) And then um, in my fifth month of pregnancy, they uh, put me on uh, blood thinners because I forgot to mention, Linda, my still birth baby, she died from a blood clot in the umbilical cord because I developed later, in very late in the late weeks, a blood clotting problem. My, my blood was very thick, created a blood clot, and that's what happened. So my doctors this time, you know, watch me. I changed reproductive endocrinologists. I changed gynecologists, not because they were bad. No, I love my old doctors, but because I wanted to a new beginning, you know? A fresh start, right? Exactly. I wanted a fresh start, a new beginning. So they put me on blood thinners. And I have to tell you, the only thing that, that drove me crazy is that when the baby start to move, I needed to feel it every five minutes. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, when, but that makes total sense. I mean, you had sensed when your full-term baby had gotten quiet and you you needed this reassurance. I, I actually find your resilience incredible, but you obviously have a, a very strong faith and a strong marriage and that had to help. Oh, yes, Linda, yes, because trust me, I felt in some point that I, I didn't find sense in life. Even having my, my other child, I remember my mom was here with me and she told me, listen, it's not that I want you not to feel pain, but you have another child, you have a marriage, you need to to pick up the pieces. This baby is going to bring you some message. You, you, you need to find out what it is. And I didn't feel it, you know, because, it, because we are so selfish uh, Attachment is something that as human, we live, uh, you know, we are souls. I always say that we are souls living a human experience mm-hmm. for some reason. And that human experience is what 
cause the pain, the attachment, the you know these uh, physical things that we feel for others. If we start to look a little bit more on the spiritual side, probably will not we, we will be able to handle more that. But I was not. So when she, you know, when I was pregnant, this fifth in vitro with my my uh, Maya, and I didn't know it was a girl yet, and she started to move, I used to to tell my husband if I will not feel her after 15 minutes, I will go nuts, Linda. I will start to take take chocolate, drink a very sweet juice, and and she start to kick. Poor baby, I didn't let her sleep and rest the whole pregnancy. And she is very hyperactive today. So two in the morning, you have no idea. I used to sleep with my hands on my belly. And I knew that between two to three in the morning, she used to move a lot. If it was two or five and she was not moving, poor my husband, I will wake him up crying. The baby is not moving. Bring me, bring me juice. Bring me. The poor guy was like, listen, you need to let her rest for God's sake. (laughs) Eventually, you know. She born, and it was amazing. As soon as he put her on my chest, I felt so strong that it was Isabel back in a in another little body. Aww. That that's what I felt, and I felt forgiven that day because when I lost Isabel, I felt very guilty. I I felt that it was something with me that I did something wrong. Is that common for many women? Absolutely, absolutely, Linda. You you start to think, what if I did something? Maybe I didn't eat good. Maybe I moved bad. Maybe I had a, an anger break and I say something bad and I didn't feel connected with the baby. Yes, yes, and it's a very, very strong uh, weight in our backs. So I know when a woman feels that. Mm. But you have a beautiful baby girl. What was that moment like? Oh my gosh, she, you know, like I tell you, when my husband put her on my chest, I felt so strong that it was Isabel. I felt forgiven. I felt that my my baby was back. You know, they say that babies uh, choose their parents. And I oh, think I, I, I like that. Yes, baby choose their parents. You know, it. so you had... Uh, Maya, how did you find that name for Maya? I always wanted that name since I had my first child. But it's funny, my husband didn't want it because his first wife's name was Maya. And I'm like, but come on, Maya is a beautiful name. I love it. And I used to watch this cartoon when I was little, Maya the Bee. And and this bee was so like all over the place. And since the moment she born, she's like that. But before we choose it, before, you know, he said, if it's a girl, we name it Maya. If it's a boy, we name it David. Because I didn't know what was it. So he didn't want to ruin it for me. Uh, that is so sweet. We are coming up on another break again. Time moves very quickly. But your story of the ups, the downs, and your never failing um, devotion to having a child is is quite incredible we're going to go on our last break you're listening to wise health for women radio and we'll be back after these very short messages we're wise health for women radio and we'll return after these short messages
fairs offer wonderfully wild and wacky summer foods. From chicken fried bacon in Texas to Minnesota spaghetti and meatballs on a stick. There is something about dining at the fair that can make anyone an opsomaniac or a person who is driven to the point of madness by food. State fairs are famous for their loverwort or food with no nutritional value. The California State Fair boasts fried Krispy Kreme chicken sandwiches. That's fried chicken and Swiss cheese tucked into a Krispy Kreme donut served with a side of honey sauce. At the Iowa State Fair, you can enjoy a hot beef sundae. That's a big scoop of mashed potatoes over roast beef, covered with gravy, sprinkled with cheddar cheese, and garnished with a cherry tomato to look like a sundae. What's another word for messy food? Ma Wella. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Hot yoga is popular, and many people love it. But the resounding question is, does it burn more calories than regular yoga? Most people perspire heavily during class because the room temperature is so hot. They feel like they're working really hard, working up a sweat and burning loads of calories. Fitness Magazine states that hot yoga is not necessarily melting more fat. Your heart rate increases during hot yoga because blood vessels dilate to increase blood flow to the skin to help your body cool down, not because you're burning more calories. The article states that you can burn the same amount of calories sitting in a chair for 15 minutes as you do sitting in a sauna. Remember, it's not the temperature of the room that produces a bigger burn. It's the intensity and muscle challenges of yoga poses. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Welcome back to Wise Health for Women Radio. We're talking with Monica Beavis today about IVF 40. And we talked earlier about your ups and downs, and we won't dwell on this, but let's mention for a moment the partners and husbands who go through this as well, because it's a loss for them too. And managing grief for two people plus a baby is very, very challenging. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, you know, uh, Linda, each, each, you know, men and women, we are so different uh, and each of us handle our daily lives in a different ways too. Grieving is something that is definitely seen by each of us in a different way. Women, we are more emotional and uh, men are more rational. So this is something that basically kind of, uh, made me kind of think and doubt if I I would want to continue with my husband in that time because when I was grieving I cried all my eyes out I felt that the world was ending he cried in the in the hospital but then after that he came back to work and like normal like nothing happened so I did something that is very human and is very wrong which is judging him he was Mm -hmm. carrying the pain very much inside and he was not showing it for whatever reason, for maybe giving me more strength or for not feeling, you know, weak because men is very machoistic thinking. So I judge him. And in general, IBF can bring that because for every woman going through IBF, it doesn't matter if it is a stillbirth or a baby after three, seven weeks or a miscarriage for, for us is a loss of, of a baby. Right. And for men, the way they deal with that is different. So I encourage women and men together to communicate. That's the best way. Communicate. Mm -hmm. Express your feelings. 
between a couple. If they want to cry, cry together. If one doesn't want to cry, it's okay, but communicate. Because if there is no communication and there is judgment, things doesn't work. You know, you're, you're wise. Um, I've often been told that women communicate to get things out. Men communicate to get things done. And in this case, there's nothing they can do to make it different. Absolutely. And so that helplessness often brings that kind of grieving that is more internal, which is partially society as well. Monica, talk now about your coaching and how you you had your last baby at 42. Yes, and I'm, I'm, I, I'm my at 42. I love that. And I know that that gives our listening audience some hope. And I have a feeling it's giving those of us who have not gone through IVF uh, a lot more information to, to wonder about. I had a, a very close friend, my best friend in high school, who went through five rounds of IVF before becoming pregnant at 45 or a successful birth. And the joy that was there after that long, long walk, I'm sure that you can relate to that. Absolutely, absolutely. And Linda, you know what? This age um, subject, in, in you know, I'm going to tell you my personal opinion and also from what I have seen in the group and in other groups. I honestly think that Aging a woman, especially after 40, you know, doctors tell you, oh, even after 35, they tell you, you know what, you need to start to look at that because your clock is ticking. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's true. Why I tell you is not true? Because I have in my group not quite few ladies that they are between 20 to 28 and they have even bigger uh, infertility issues than a woman my age that I'm going to be 44 and now the 31st and women that is even 45. I have another lady in my group that she's 49. They told her that she cannot get pregnant with her own eggs. She needs to go through the, the way of egg donor and even surrogacy. She got pregnant with her own eggs in the last IVF cycle and she carried her baby full term. Wow. I think that the main thing, and this is the coaching, is when it comes here. I coach my, my ladies, my clients in this. When you're going to go through a, an IVF treatment or an IUI, IUI is another fertility treatment. I say fast that so people have the idea. They put the embryo not directly to the uterus, but in the fallopian tube so the baby can travel to the uterus. I couldn't do that because I have my tube tubes blocked. So that's why okay. IVF was the only chance. So, but when woman is going to go through IVF and they know that this is like the last hope, I always in my coaching recommend a few things. Number one, don't look at your age. Look at what you are eating. Look at your daily uh, habits. If you start to nourish yourself before the process start, you are taking a big step in increasing your possibilities of getting pregnant. How is nourishing yourself? First, of course, take care of yourself. Look at the mirror and say that you are beautiful, that you are capable. Number two, eat healthy. Linda, I am a, a firm believer that food, what we put in our body, is what makes us healthier or sicker. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of things 
in, in, in today's food and all the processing food and all these chemicals that affect women's fertility. That is why I'm telling you the age doesn't matter because you can see a 20 or 25 year old girl, young, beautiful, but what she put in her body is not healthy. It's going to affect her fertility. On the other hand, you can see a woman 40, 44, like me, I am a vegan person. I don't eat any animal. And I can tell you that I can see how I feel, my skin, my, my, even my own fertility now, it's better. So that's, that's a part also of nourishing. Start a fertility journal. And this is something that I always encourage my clients. Take notes of how you, 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 your cycles are and all of that. Not only for the cycles, not only for your fertility, for venting, if you feel stress during your process, if the medicine is making you crazy, vent there. Take all the energy and all the emotions there so you don't take it out on your loved ones. Boy, that's a valuable piece of advice right there. Because if you are venting on your partner, to the stress of the waiting and the watching and as you said you would have your hands on your belly every night um, looking for movement and it's it is a team effort that fertility journal is very interesting do you also have them working on positive self-talk and gratitude because i think what i hear from you is this heart of gratitude even for the hard things in life. And I, I'm personally of the mind that a heart of gratitude can allow you to weather things that are not possible to weather otherwise. Absolutely, Linda. That's my main, that's the main purpose of my coaching because knowing and being there uh, that IBF is so difficult, I try my best to Take the little pieces of positivity and beauty of the, of the treatment itself and show them. So I tell them, listen, first of all, yes, they, it needs to be a mind shift into the nourishing process is also a sleep good, especially during that two week wait, because we don't sleep thinking about what if, what if that's one of the things I recommend. Try your best to sleep good, read books. Do art therapy, especially in that two-week wait. I repeat because it's the most difficult time. Mm-hmm. So make art therapy. Coloring is a great therapy. Watch funny movies, read books. And, you know, another beautiful thing, start to be more romantic with your partner. Even even if you know that you are in a difficult time, nourish, spoil each other, right? Because that things are going to help you to kill that time faster. And one very important that I always tell my clients, do not do a home pregnancy test. Interesting. So, okay. Well, because most, I understand, I didn't do it. I, I was dying to do it, but, and I didn't do it because my husband told me, we need to wait. We need to wait. So definitely don't do that. This is my main uh, advice to women that is going through IBF. And see the beauty of it. You know what is the beauty of it? You are watching, you are a witness of how it happens inside when you do it naturally. So when you are there in that transfer watching that screen, just right there say, thank God. You are letting me be so close to you to mm-hmm. see this. That's, that's what it woke me up, basically. Isn't the technology amazing? Incredible. Incredible, Linda. It's amazing. I love that part. They even give you pictures of the little embryos that they're going to transfer to you. Uh, See, I I think that those advances in science have made it feel more real. Uh, It isn't, 
there's always mystery to a birth, always, always. Um, but that's amazing when you think about it. Yes. Yes, Linda. And that's basically what my, my coaching it is. I am writing an IVF planner. I'm in the process of editing that is going to come with all the guides for the clinical part, for the emotional part, coloring pages, journaling pages. It's going to be a beautiful one. And I'm working on also three mandala coloring books for fertility. I love it. Um, and if people want to find out more, they can go to Monica, M-O-N-I-C-A, Beavis, B-I-V-A-S dot com. That's Monica Beavis dot com, B-I-V-A-S. And I, I love that this coaching is here and you're doing this because of what you went through, correct? Absolutely, Linda, absolutely. And I also have a, a Facebook group. The name is The IBF Journey for whomever want to, to join. And we have great tools there. I, that's fantastic. So say that name again. Is the IBF journey is the name of the group. When you go to Facebook, you just come uh, type the symbol at the IBF journey all together, no spaces, and it's going to take you right away there and you click join. It's so easy. Perfect. Because I, I think that all of these steps that you're talking about take a fairly scary scientific experience and turn it into a personal group that supports one another and answers questions. And I, I love the work that you're doing. What if you had any further advice to pass to people in the minute or so that we have left, would you give? Well, to, to make this year the best of it, create a word for your year. For example, my word for this year is compassion, to be compassionate with others. Others can use gratitude. Gratitude brings a lot of things. Being courage, uh, brave, but make a word, positivity, that is going to be your mantra for the year, and this is going to bring the best of it. I love it. You know, Monica, thank you for sharing your amazing story with us today. And if you like Monica's story and want to hear more about amazing women doing amazing things, helping other women thrive, go to wisehealthforwomenradio.com. And Monica, thank you for your time today. This has been most interesting. Thank you so much, Linda. Again, it has been an honor that you have me for your audience. And I hope that whatever they hear from me somehow give a little light or hope, not only for fertility treatments, but in general for life. Lovely. And and I think that it absolutely will. Every woman, every woman, excuse me, goes through challenges in life and we meet those challenges. It's an amazing thing. Monica, thank you for helping us help women thrive. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in today. You can find more shows at wisehealthforwomenradio.com.